All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Welcome into a brand new edition of the Real Life Podcast. Doing things a little bit differently here on the Thursday edition of the pod with myself, BM, and Jay all chilling in Toronto. We're doing a bunch of different things, running around busy with all-star festivities, we decided to do a couple of interviews for today as well. And by we, I mean me. So you can drop it with all that hashtag avoid the grind crap. I did some work. I put together a nice couple of interviews. We're going to hear from Travis Ridgen. He's on YouTube as Trav for Oilers. He's got a podcast called Slinging the Biz Kit. And he's going to join me a little bit later on in the pod. But our first interview is delivered by our friends at DoorDash for a limited time. Our Canadian listeners can get 25% off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more. All you need to do is download the DoorDash app and use the promo code NATION25. That's NATION25 on the DoorDash app for first time users. Give it a download. Dash that for the win with DoorDash. Maybe you want to check out that new Double Dash feature. Get two of your favorites delivered at once with no extra delivery fees. Maybe you want pizza. Maybe your significant other is going, no, I want a burger. You can get them both done from different spots with DoorDash and the Double Dash feature. And that promo code NATION25 is going to save you some coin in the process. All right, let's get into our first interview for the day. John Morris. You'd probably recognize his face even if you don't recognize the name. He is a two-time Olympic gold medalist. You know me. I'm a big curling guy. Any chance I get to sit down with a curling legend, I am not going to pass it up. We shared stories about the Olympics, about curling with Kevin Martin, his favorite moments from his career, and the best part, he is an Oilers fan. So we kick things off with some Oilers talk. Enjoy the interview. He is a two-time Olympic gold medalist. He's captured three Briars in his career, and I really hope I didn't mess those numbers up. John Morris joins me. John, how's it going? Uh, going great, Tyler. How you doing, buddy? I nailed it, right? Two Olympics, three Briars? 
Yeah, that sounds about right. I don't really keep track of that stuff, but uh, I think you're pretty darn close. Uh, what I, I, uh, We'll get into some stuff because you're an Oilers fan. That's why I wanted to chat with you today, but I also want to get into the curling stories and whatnot. But you said uh, you don't really keep track. What do you do with the Olympic golds? Where do they sit? Are they framed up or are they in a safety box somewhere? Well, the interesting thing about uh, Olympic medals is if you ever lose them or they get stolen, they don't ever replace them. So you have to kind of keep them under lock and key pretty good. So uh, I have a friend of mine that has a safety deposit box at, at his bank and uh, his name's Art Zimmerman in Calgary. And uh, I keep him there. And anytime I need it for an event or something, I give my friend Art a call. And yeah, so he's, uh, we've only almost lost him once in the last few years, but so far so good. Almost losing an Olympic gold medal. That feels like, you know, you say that very nonchalantly and casually. Were you freaking out? What's the story behind that? Uh, well, it's a, here's what happened. Um, his daughter, uh, Brooke, was getting married in Hawaii. And I had an event right before, you know, when you're, when you're a parent of someone getting married, you got lots of stuff to think about and take care of. So right before uh, the, the trip to Hawaii for her wedding, I had an event. I had to go talk somewhere. Uh, in Calgary and I, I got the medals out and I gave them back to him like, you know, the day before the flight to, for his flight to to Hawaii. So he didn't really have time to go to the bank. So he put them in his sock drawer and he uh, had a million things on the go and went to Hawaii and probably had a couple too many cervezas in Hawaii, you know, and the memory probably wasn't as great when he got back. And, um, and then uh, I think about, a month later, I'm like, hey, Art, I got to get those. I got to get those medals. I got another event. I was wondering if I could grab those. I usually give them a day or two heads up. And then I get this like a day later, this panicked email like, are you sure you don't have them? They're not at the bank. <laughs> and turns out, I, and I was like, you know what? It was funny. It, it was uh, when he said that. I said, you know what? I guess I'll just have to go win another one, Art. <laughs> that was my response. So, and then about two weeks later, he's like, I found them. They were in the sock drawer. <laughs> so that was, that was the story of the almost lost medals. Oh, that is good stuff. Uh, all right. I mentioned it. You're an Oilers fan. So are you kind of like all of us at Rose Nation? Are you on cloud nine with this winning streak? Are you just loving life? You know what? I'll, I'm gonna, I'll give you the insight on how I became an Oilers fan. I love this. I'm from Ontario. Grew up watching Hockey Night in Canada. Uh, most Saturday nights with my dad. Uh, and the senators weren't around. So I was by default, a big leaf fan. And I love cheering for the Leafs back then when they had, uh, you know, Wendell Clark, Dougie Gilmore, Joey Newendeck, Gary Roberts. That was like the heyday for me because they would score lots of goals. They would fight. They were hard nosed. And, uh, uh, and then I have to be honest, I moved out West about 20 years ago. Um, and, uh, the team I, I started curling with was, out of Edmonton, Kevin Martin, uh, and was up in Edmonton a lot. One of our main sponsors owned uh, the Oilers. So we would go up to Edmonton. Some nights I'd stay at Bruce Savile's house. And Alish Hemsky was, you know, had a room at the house and and just started loving watching the Oilers. Uh, and they weren't even that great back then. But, um, yeah, the, the the Flames, I'd have to, you know, I'm, I am from, I'm living in southern Alberta in a small town of Bragg Creek right now. Um, I still, I enjoy going to Flames games, but I, they're like, I call them the team of misfit toys. They don't have an identity. Uh, you know, they're not too exciting to watch. And I just feel super privileged to watch the Oilers because they're the most, they have the best player in the NHL. 
arguably the top two of the, maybe the top five in the NHL. And uh, they're fun to watch every time I tune in, you know, this McDavid's doing something special. And uh, so, yeah, that's how I became an Oilers fan. And, and um, I, uh, they're the only NHL team I tune into now. And uh, I'm just praying. I took, I took them all in the, in my playoff pool last year and they broke my heart in the second round. So, but I haven't lost faith and I'm just, I'm just hoping we can uh, make her pretty deep this year. That's for sure. So, so you picked up the fandom in the Hemsky era, we'll call it. And then after yeah. that, as we know, decade of darkness, those were my formative years, which is why I'm usually consider myself a bit of a negative Oilers fan. Cause it's how I was raised was with the team losing. But when you yeah. go back to whatever, early two thousands till now, give me like the best Oilers game you've attended in that span. All right. I was in, I was in uh fire college in Vermilion, Alberta. I believe you're better at stats than I am, Tyler, but I believe it was 2006. Okay, and uh, start this course and and uh, still playing with you know, with Kevin Martin and the boys at Edmonton, and all of a sudden, mir- miracle cup run, like all you know, like no one expected it. They're in the cup finals. I'm like an hour and a change down the road in Vermillion, and I'm like, hey, Bruce. I'd love to come to one of these cup final games. Any chance you can spare me a ticket? He had a box there. And, uh, and I just, I remember going down the road, uh, you know, staying in Edmonton that night. And I think they won that game. I think that was game. They ended up losing in game seven, but I think that was game six and they won. And uh, that was like, yeah, again, miracle run. Cause they didn't really have the horses, but they had this guy, Chris Pronger, who was playing amazing. And they had a backup goalie who was playing amazing. I don't even remember his name at the time. But uh, that was my favorite Oilers moment to date. Uh, I haven't I haven't been up to any games yet at the new rink. That's how much of a rookie or like I, I'm working lots down here. And uh, But my dream would be to be able to take my kid, uh, Jack, who is an Oilers fan. Um, uh, that's his favorite team he cheers for. He's five years old. My dream would be to maybe take him to his first ever NHL game at that New Orleans spring. We should make it happen. I'm sure there's some listener of the podcast somewhere that can help <laughs> us uh, help us make that happen. I want to dig into the curling career a little bit. I'm a big curling guy. Um, I remember back in 2010, obviously, yes, the 2010 Olympics, everyone thinks of the Sidney Crosby golden goal, but it's the gold medal in men's curling for me, John. Uh, when you think about that moment in your career and you think about the 2010 Olympics, like one, it's just so rare to be an Olympian, never mind to compete in an Olympics that's on your home soil than to win a gold medal. When you hear me say all that, what's the first moment of those Olympics that pops into your head? Well, first off, I'll say the Oilers are almost as hot as that <laughs> 2010 Olympic curling team that we, were, <laughs> we had going on. But you know what? That was uh, such a, a dream run, um, you know, looking back on it, because I'm pretty pretty near finished my curling career. Um, you know, that was such a special team that I feel so privileged to have been on. And uh, and that that was the first curling team I've been on that all four of us were like ready to do anything it took. We had four guys that were committed, hated to lose. I don't know if you've watched Shorzy at all. You ever watched Shorzy? Yeah, yeah. Hate to lose. That yeah. was us. We hated to lose. And uh, uh, and that that Olympic uh, experience was, you know, in Canada, um, you know, I, I still have you know some some memories that I had from that were, uh, you know, playing ping pong with Mark Andre Fleury, Sidney Crosby, and Shea Weber on the regular up in the Canadian team lounge, 
um, going to that gold medal game. I'll give you a quick story of that. You know, it mixes curling with hockey. Um, so at those Olympics, it was it was hard to like. You could go to other as an athlete. You know, you could go to other sports, and you could you know usually have no trouble getting tickets. But any athletes that wanted the men's hockey tickets, it was like pulling teeth. You know, okay, maybe we'll get you a game against you know Slovakia. You know, <laughs> during the round robin. Okay, so we're we're putting in our requests, and it was like you know kind of you know mix, mixed uh, results getting getting back to us. Like maybe we can find some tickets, and then we go and win gold uh, on the I think it was the Saturday, and and all of a sudden uh, we got like three offers for the men's gold medal game, and I'll never forget we had the we had box seats um, in the in the Shaw with the Shaw group. You know, um, which I'm sure it would have been, you know, good, but that was that wasn't really who we were. We were, you know, we were a hardworking team from Edmonton, and and uh, the tickets, the other set of tickets were like twenty rows back on the on the it would have been a away end, and I, you know, I'm so those are the ones we ended up getting, and we go to the game and we just won gold the day before on cloud nine probably working on two to three hours sleep max. And uh, it was amazing. We, we didn't, the first time we, we, uh, we stood up to go get a beer because we're, you know, we're no longer playing and we're ready to have a few. And uh, we get up and everyone's like, Oh, it's, it's team Canada curling team. They're like, what you want a beer? It's on us. Like we couldn't even, <laughs> we never made the concession once because every time we stood up, it was like, you know, beers were getting shoved right in it, right up to us. So, and then we happened to witness, I remember thinking this, um, you know, and it was, you know, I don't know if you remember that game, the, the Americans tied it up late and everyone was like, oh no, we're going to lose the gold. And I, I just remember thinking, I was like, no, we're not, it's going to be better because, you know, it's a little anticlimactic when you win a goal and, and you got to hang on to a lead, but I'm like, it's going to be better because we're going to go to OT and the place is the whole Canada is going to get set on fire with this win now. And we were right behind the goal when Sid scored that winner. And man, I still get goosebumps thinking about it. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't even imagine like watching on TV tense enough, but in that building, I'm sure the tension, you could probably really feel it like that would have just been unbelievable. Never been a better vibe in my life as yeah. there was in that building. And you know, for anyone arguing against an Olympics in Canada, well, two things have to happen. I, sh you know, the players want to play in the Olympics, yeah. and there's nothing better than watching. Like, you know, it's great watching your two favorite teams play. Uh, you know, let's say the Oilers are playing whoever in the in the Cup final, that would be awesome. But I'll tell you what, there's nothing better than watching your favorite players from your country compete in the Olympics against. The Americans or the Russians. There's nothing better. I've never had better experiences than that in my life. And I sure hope they find a way to get the uh, NHL players back in the Olympics and us to put politics and like other things aside and just get an Olympics back to Canada. Because I think it would be, uh, I hope I get to witness it again in my lifetime. Oh, and you just think about like how many great memories just the average canadian has of tuning into those olympics all the gold medals i remember the first one that they won with uh Bilido, the skier when he captured that in the moment with him and his brother and then you had john montgomery when he went in skeleton walking through the streets with his big ass jug of beer like i mean 
an Olympics, no matter where, would be great to experience. But something about it being in Canada and getting to see Canadian athletes do their thing on home soil is, is just so cool. But you mentioned like that Molson Lounge. You mentioned playing ping pong with some of the Team Canada guys. What is the Athletes Village like? You always hear all these stories. You never know how exaggerated they are. But what's it like just getting to sit in there with a bunch of the other best athletes in the world? Uh, it's you got to almost pinch yourself. You're, you know, it's because I'm a huge sports fan. So I tune into everything. And uh, I remember uh, going in that. So the Olympic Village, it's great. It has all these meal ops. You go in the meal, um, you know, the lunch area or meal area, and they got all the different options. And one of the options at that time was McDonald's. So it's funny, you get all these serious athletes, it's their first Olympics, and they're like, you know, they got their carbs and their proteins like measured out on their plates. And I look over and then there's there's Al, uh, Ovechkin, just crushing Big Macs, like is his job. And I'm just, and it was, I remember having a good chuckle out with Benny Eve, I'm like, look at Ovi, just creaming Big Macs and all these other, <laughs> all these other athletes are, you know, counting their carbs. And so it was little things like that, uh, you know, you remember and, um, it's, you know, I remember, uh, you know, the gym and the weight in the weight room and, uh, I, I had a good, um, I felt uh, a good comparison to Chris Pronger because, you know, here's Chris Pronger in there. He was like six foot seven, but he had, you know, you know, his legs were like shoot being bean strings like mine are. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, this is one of the hardest hitters and toughest guys in, in the NHL. And his legs are as thin as mine. I'm like, all right, I can relate to this guy. <laughs> So, you know, just cool memories like that. I know everyone talks about, oh, man, I heard athletes go through a million condoms in the in the uh, <laughs> athlete village. And here's the truth, okay, because actually it was like, that's not really how it's going down. Everyone's pretty serious. Like, they have, they're, they're playing their sport. They're not there to, like, they've worked four years and they're not going to, they're not going to, a lot of them are not going to, um, you know, compromise that with maybe not having legs in the morning. So, uh, usually what happens is there's uh, other countries that don't have access to this stuff. We have access to in Canada, like free condoms. And so I remember seeing, uh, I think, I don't remember where they're from, but they literally would take the basket because, you know, they're, they're definitely promoting, make sure if you're, you know, you're going to have safe sex in the village. And yeah. so, but there's, there's athletes that would take these bath, these baskets of condoms and throw them in their bag. And it's <laughs> like, you could just tell, and, and they don't have these at home. And I think they were so then, you know, the word get out, oh, my God, you know, they're going through condoms like crazy. It wasn't really the case. It was just other athletes from from some poor, poor countries don't have these uh, don't have access to like we do in Canada. So that's that's the truth right there. That's funny. Uh, so you're for you had the 2010 Olympics in Vancouver and like an unreal experience, but everything to an extent is familiar because you're in Canada. Then in 2018, you're in Pyeongchang. How wild was that going basically all the way around the world for an Olympics? It was totally different experience, but I'm so grateful that I was able to uh, experience both because, you know, you can't beat the Canadian experience, you know, mm -hmm. especially winning. And then you go to Korea and, you know, you have rather than, uh, uh, you know, a million fans in the whole country they're watching and you have like, I think we had like 20 people there, close family and friends only because it's so expensive to get there. And totally different vibe you know i've never been to asia before and it was uh, just a totally different vibe but a wonderful one you know i i get got to witness a new culture and meet some great people and um, they were so nice over there in korea and some really cool memories from that one uh were because i played mixed doubles in that one so 
first Olympics, we curled until the second last day. So it was pretty much, you know, had to keep the eyes on the prize for most of that Olympics. Um, and then this, the next one was, we were done like five days in, like we started early and we, and then I'm like, so we, you know, we had two weeks after to really enjoy the Olympics, which was amazing. And a couple of things that I was able to do, I'm a big fisherman. I love to fish. And I found, I like really um, learning uh, about local culture when I go to a new country. I don't just like doing what the tourists do. So I found this local, it was up in the mountains, this fishing derby, rainbow trout, local fishing um, uh, festival it was. So I went and my dad was there and I brought my good buddy Jay and we went up there and there was, it was all Koreans. None of them spoke English. Went in there, we had our Canada jackets on and we joined in uh, in this fishing festival, caught a few rainbow trout through the ice. It was ice fishing. And then we had some rainbow trout sushi, which I've never had before. Turned out to be delicious. Uh, so doing little things like that, I met some really cool local folks that kind of were, you know, took us under our, our wing and helped us uh, catch some fish. So that was something that I really, um, you know, relished. Uh, and then, um, you remember Jay and Dan? Oh, yeah. Jay and Dan from, uh, so we, and when we won, we went on their show and uh, it was crazy because it was like 50 mile an hour winds up on this rooftop. We almost get blown off the set, but we have a, a great time. And I remember saying afterwards, like, hey, we should hang out. Like, we're done now. And their show was done at three o'clock every uh, day. So, like, yeah, let's hang out. So, we got, I got to really get to know those guys quite a bit because, you know, you don't have a lot of Canadian friends there. So, strength, you know, strength in numbers when you do meet some. And we had some great time. We went and watched some, some sports together. Uh, we went and, uh, you know, drank some. Uh, they had a Caesars party. Uh, they'd have a Caesar hour uh, every few days where we could go and have some Canadian Caesars and then go cheer on some of our uh, fellow, uh, you know, fellow Canadians. So just, just little things like that, that really, um, you know, to two totally different experiences, but I'm so grateful I got to experience, you know, both, both games. Uh, again, I said, I wanted to talk a little curling. So you go back as mixed doubles. I mean, what a cool little event that's become a staple now at the Olympics. It was there in 2018. And it, what I guess intrigued you about going that route versus the traditional curling route? Like, what do you like about mixed doubles? Uh, you know, what I liked about what I love about mixed doubles is it's a game that's kind of tailored to, toward a bit more uh, young, the younger athlete, the all around curler. Um, you know, you have to, you know, a lot of the time in, in 14 curling, you know, you can be a bit of a specialist if you're a lead or a second, okay, you're a really good sweeper and you can draw really well, but you're not really, you know, you're not really maybe as, as, as all around of an athlete or a curler because, you know, you don't have to hit as much or strategize on that side of things. So I, I really do love that about mixed doubles. It's, it really takes your all around curler into, into things. And uh, it's a, more of a fast-paced game. Like I, I have to say, like after curling for twenty years, sometimes it's it's tough to remain focused and interested in a ten-end curling game. I just get a little bored. And I found with mixed doubles, um, it's fast-paced. You never can lose your focus. You got to really be dialed in all the time. And um, you know, the one thing I really did miss from from the men's game, I really did did miss the camaraderie of of my, you know my teammates playing cards at night, like with playing with that Kevin Martin team, my favorite memories of that team were on the road, uh, playing cards, 
and watching the Oilers and uh, just that and telling stories of the good old days and having the odd whiskey or two. And uh, that was, you know, that was not in as much in mixed doubles, but there was other things, parts of mixed doubles that really I found catered to my style. And, and I felt um, I had the best chance to win a medal for Canada was at mixed doubles uh, in 2018. So you talked about, you know, a bit more all around athlete, you got to be a more complete curler to play in mixed doubles, but you also mentioned it's faster pace. And we've seen, you know, a sport like baseball over the last couple of seasons has taken big strides, trying to get faster, trying to modernize itself a little bit to attract a younger demographic. And I don't think it's any secret that curling is also another sport that needs to do that. Like I curl every Tuesday, there is a full rink in St. Albert, I mean, six sheets. So there's a ton of us. There's like me and one other person under 30 curling on Tuesday nights there. Like, what do you think curling could do to expand itself a little bit and, and open itself up to a younger demographic? Well, you got to have some creative, uh, you know, managers of curling clubs. You can't bring in a 70 year old that curled in the, in the, you know, in the eighties and nineties and think that that's going to work today. Now, a good case in point is uh, Paul Webster. He actually coaches that botcher rink. That's mm-hmm. half from uh, Edmonton. And uh, he took over the Glencoe Club, which is uh, down here in Calgary, about 10 years ago. And he had a very progressive, creative mind. And he brought in things like beer sponsors and mixed doubles curling and really fun bond spiels. And, uh, and the rink, the membership went from barely hanging on and almost changing into a hockey rink to now one of the most popular sports at the curling club. And the demographic has changed as well to about 10 years younger than it used to be. So you need to bring in, you got to bring in, you got to invest in some leadership that is very creative and progressive that, okay, maybe we're going to have a six end games, you know, maybe we're not going 10 or eight end games anymore just to make sure we can get a couple more draws and, and, you know, bring in that mixed doubles aspect, bring in some great sponsors, have some fun, maybe combine it with like, you know, like, uh, okay, we're doing a cornhole tournament with some, with, with some, uh, you know, curling boss beyond cornhole tourney this weekend, you know, really kind of cater it to that. And uh, I think that if you do that, you disguise the limit and what you can do at a curling rink. And I saw it firsthand with several clubs in Alberta, where they, if they bring in someone that is really uh, creative minded and doesn't, isn't afraid to take a few chances, then you can really uh, change the membership around. And uh, essentially, I'm not saying I really, I love old school curlers. That's my jam. Like I love playing with some old school curlers and and hearing those stories, but you also want to bring in that new, like bring in the learn to curl, um, uh, learn to curl where you bring in, you know, 20 new curlers uh, that are all in the same boat. So they're not coming in and getting their asses kicked by old, old veterans. Cause that's no fun. And uh, you know, make it fun for them. And uh, those learn to curl um, clinics and those learn to curl programs and leagues are, are awesome. And uh, you got to include those. Yeah. Like you not to throw shade or disregard the old, but you bring in the new so that they become interested in the old and it grows that way. I love that point. Okay. I'm going to wrap up here with a couple of more. We can go a little rapid fire style style for all of this. Uh, One moment in your career that you would like to relive and not from the perspective of redoing anything. You can't change the past, but just one moment in atmosphere an arena, whatever it was, one moment you'd want to relive from your career. Uh, I'll say the winning the Olympic trials in the old Edmonton Northlands Coliseum barn in front of a packed house 
And I'd still, uh, you know, it was surreal at the time, but that was uh, such an amazing moment uh, to experience. Best Briar host city. Ooh. That's a tough one. I got to say Edmonton's right there. Good man. I think Edmonton's got to be, oh man. uh, I'd have to say a tie, Edmonton and Winnipeg. Fair enough. Most obscure European city you curled the tournament in. Mm. Somewhere where you pulled up and you were like, where the hell am I right now? Hotels run down. Obscure. Um, that is a good question. How about we go with, I don't know if it's obscure, but uh, Oslo, Norway mm. was a pretty darn cool place to curl. And uh, we ate reindeer there. So that was on the menu at the curling club, reindeer stew in Oslo, Norway. (laughs) Reindeer stew in Oslo, Norway. Last one, I'll wrap up. An Oilers one. One Oiler you'd love to sit down and have a beer with, but the caveat is they can't have their number retired. I don't don't want you to tell me Gretzky or Messier or coffee. Give me an Oiler, maybe a depth player that you're like, damn, I want to sit down and have a beer with that guy. All right. I got to say... I really enjoy watching Zach Hyman. I think he's just a beauty. I love uh, I love his positive attitude. And uh, yeah, throw me a beer with, throw me in a room uh, with a beer uh, with Zach Hyman any day. I'm, I'm all for it. Oh man, 30 minutes with you absolutely flew by, John. Really appreciate you giving me some time here. Anytime, Tyler. Love listening to you and uh, go oil. What an absolute beauty Johnny Moe swinging by on the pod. Definitely going to want to do that again. Liam and I were talking. Not that Liam's a part of the Real Life Podcast, but he's sitting next to me in the hotel room right now in Toronto. And maybe we should do like an all-curling roundtable, which would be a lot of fun ahead of the briar. Liam is also a curling fan like myself. But a big shout out to John Morris for giving me some time and sharing just some really good stories. I dig the one about the Athletes Village as well. We are going to wrap up today's episode of the pod. The chance we had to sit down with our new friend at the Nation Network, Travis Ridgen. That interview is brought to you by Alberta Blue Cross. Protect your memories and more wherever your travel takes you with Alberta Blue Cross. You can visit them online, ab.bluecross.ca slash travel. Maybe you want to get in on the nation vacation. We are pretty much sold out now since we had a couple people step up since the last episode. Going to be a ton of fun. February 18th to 20th in the desert. Check out that and more by heading to nationgear.ca. Here's our chat with Travis. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. All right, a special edition of our Thursday pod here on Real Life. The boys are out in Toronto, so we got a couple interviews to fill in the gaps, and this is a good one because I got my guy. Okay, how do I intro you? Trav for Oilers, Travis Ridgen. What do I go with? What's the proper intro? Unemployed, self-proclaimed professional hockey player would probably be the best and most accurate description of this moment in time. If you wanted, if I wanted to give a nicer one, you're the only professional goalie vlogger out there, at least the most successful. Yeah, I, I was <laughs> going to say, if you want to get me in trouble, we can go down that hole. But yeah, you can you could use that uh, avenue. Uh, you, the face you made almost implies that there are others and there's beef. Is there? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe I shouldn't walk it, you there. It, it's it's <laughs> the start of the new year, Tyler. I'm trying not to get myself in trouble. I'm trying, I'm trying to be nice. I like I'm trying that. Trying to be nice to people this year. Uh, if people want to see your stuff, they can find you on the U- on YouTube, on Instagram, Trav for Oilers. And like again, just to explain it very simply, you are a professional goalie vlogger. You're a guy who's played in a bunch of different leagues, and you have the unique kind of platform of documenting yourself through this which i think is really cool when did you start all this started like documenting the journey yeah the journey videos? i was playing college hockey this would have been 2017 28 no excuse me 2018 2019 and like i've been doing videos for a while like i started making uh, goalie montages my favorite initial goalies probably back in like 2011 2012 because i couldn't find anything on youtube that i liked yeah. so i just found a way to download clips put some music on it i ran out of space in my parents computer <laughs> so I, f- I figured in my mind youtube was a great storage device and just throw it up online. People started watching them. And after about two, three years, had about like seven, 8,000 subscribers. Woke up one day, I was like, I don't think this is really like generating anything net positive for the hockey community. And I had this idea. I don't know why it came to me, but I remember like when I was 10 years old, becoming a goalie with my dad, we had no knowledge of anything. Like gear-wise, goaltending-wise, I thought, even though I'm 18, 19 at the time, I can use this to help other people. And so I started making my own goalie gear reviews on like sticks, accessories, anything I get my hands on. And so many companies told me it was stupid because I'd email them and be like, hey, this is the, uh, this idea that I have. I'd love to work with you. Maybe you can send me some samples. This will never take off. Well, 100,000 subscribers later, I guess it worked. That's but- so funny because you got in it at an interesting point where the online content space was still being birthed is the way i'll describe it where like nowadays if you went with a decent amount of subscribers to any company and said all i want is the stuff no extra money they'd be tripping over themselves to give you the opportunity and it must be interesting for you to have seen this journey of how legitimate and respected the online creator space has become it's changed so much like it was literally like getting a gopro hero three or four at the time filming some videos on your phone if that because the airdrop didn't exist so you had to like plug the phone in to the, the iPhone cable, plug it into your laptop, go to iTunes, try to import it, put it into iPhoto. That didn't work. And it was just like a <laughs> whole process to get everything off the ground, let alone adding a voiceover to now where you have three, four cameras, you rock and roll, you put a little voiceover on top, you have the algorithm of TikTok, Instagram, YouTube shorts, especially YouTube shorts, just popping everything off. And I tell people this all the time, the formula that, that I had to get to now just short of 100,000 subscribers, if I applied it today, it wouldn't work. 
the same formula would not work because things have changed so much in that time span. Like, there was a time period where I was gaining three, four, five thousand subscribers a month on YouTube just vlogging my day-to-day life, playing men's league or you know skating on the outdoor rinks, or, you know doing whatever. Yeah. As opposed to now, where things have really, really changed, where YouTube doesn't really reward long videos anymore. They want them really short. They want them really tight. They want them action-packed with a good hook. And it's hard to do that when you're telling the story of your minor professional hockey journey. It's very difficult. I want to get into that journey a little bit because I think it's fascinating. So you started again. You played your college hockey. You kind of came uh, out. We, of, I say the word played very lightly, but yeah. yes. And then you got into this documenting yourself through the pro ranks. I, I guess I'm just fascinated to talk a little bit about the balance as well. Like when you first started doing that, did you have guys on the team, coaches, whatever, being like, enough of the shit, enough of this? Like how often did that pop up early on? Does it still pop up now? Still to this day. Yeah. Because when I started college, it started off, it was spun out of an idea of things aren't really going my way this season. And I'm going through a lot of interesting things that I think are best to be documented on film. So at least I have some time, like kind of like time capsule to show you in five years or my yeah. kids whenever you know they have them. God bless if there's a woman out there who wants <laughs> to do that with me. But that was like the original idea. And originally the guys were like, what's this guy doing? Like he's putting a go, he's putting a GoPro behind the net. He's micing himself up. Like he's filming himself with sticks outside the, like none of this makes any sense. Yeah. But over time, like from college to, you know, training in the outdoors to going to uh, a tryout in Columbus, Georgia to go play in Sweden for two years to go getting a tryout in Norway to go playing in Detroit and Motor City and the Fed to Watertown, New York to the, uh, the Gulf Coast of Mexico and Biloxi, Mississippi, all on the way. Guys have gotten a lot more open-minded to it. Because I think also, like, I try to, like, build other guys up. Like, I don't think you really get anywhere by knocking guys down, which, again, mm-hmm. comes back to my New Year's resolution. We're trying to make friends this year. Which is why we're not digging into beefs. We're not trying sadly. to piss anybody off more yeah. than we have to. And so, like, if I have a teammate who, you know, he picks up the camera, starts talking to it or whatever, you know, gives a shout-out to his mom, I'd probably make his day if I put that in the video. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you know, when, when Jonesy's talking about his mom, all right, great. Hi, mom. Miss you. You know, shout-out to my hometown of Cleveland, Ohio. Like, that makes the guy's day, yeah. right? Stuff like that. Um, there's still quite a few... I'll use the word dinosaurs. It's seen as like, dude, put the camera away. And I understand that. But that's also how I've been making my full-time income for almost six years now. And like, I love doing this. Like, I love sharing my passion of hockey and my passion of film together in the online space. Yeah, just looking at uh, the different spots, you've kind of bounced around a little bit. The trip out to Sweden stands out. Like, the couple of years here in the Fed. But Sweden, what was that like? Like, what a jump to make. Yeah. It, it was interesting because, you know... I, I get a little bit pissed off with COVID because it's I have some very hot takes on it. Yeah, but it, it's probably the best thing that ever happened in my life. Like COVID single handedly changed my life for the better. From going where I was trying to play college hockey, that was all I wanted to do. I just wanted to finish college hockey, finish my education, mm-hmm. and then COVID happened, and then things went nutty over here, and you couldn't even get into a rink without getting arrested. But Sweden was wide open, and so my agent at the time. He said, hey, we got an, uh, an offer in Sweden. This is probably like April-ish of 2020. Why don't, we, why don't we take it, see what happens with the rest of the world, and worst case, we got someone to sit on I said, that's a great idea. So we signed it, and then fast forward to July or August, nothing's open. Yeah. Sweden's the only one open, and Sweden had a ban on imports for a while because they're like, everybody's trying to come here. Like, you got to stay out. Like, we don't want you. We have too many people here. And then I went over there, and I was very close-minded. I didn't want to go over there because it was, I had, I guess the typical mentality of a lot of people in North America, whether you're in Canada or the U.S., of like, we're the best, we're the greatest, this is how it's supposed to be. The rest of the world is, like, that's not really of interest to me. But COVID forced me. I had no choice. You want to go play hockey, go to Sweden, or get fucked. Excuse my language. Yeah. No, no, we swear. Right, but, okay. so the, to... That's the mildest language we use. On the <laughs> <very fuck. laughs> but like, that was the mentality. Yeah. And so when I went there, 
I had no choice but to embrace the culture, to embrace the way the game was being played over there. And although things were very interesting, I mean, I went over there and my roommate and I, who I played college hockey with, I dragged him over there because I said, hey man, are you bored? Yeah, I got nothing to do. Why don't you come play hockey with me in Sweden? We ended up living in this tool shed <laughs> in the back of this backyard for this nice home. So there's this nice home in Sweden, in um, uh, Tullinge, in Sweden, just outside of Stockholm, okay. uh, to the southwest of Stockholm, I believe. If I'm not mistaken, I'm sure somebody on the video version will fact check me on that. But this guy had a tool shed. And it looked like the shed was like fitted to just have a couple beds in there. And there was no windows. Or sorry, there was no blinds for the windows. There was no doors. And there was a, a bed that was just barely like big enough to make the door open and close that yeah. you'd have to like shift over if you want to get into the bathroom. And then there was a couch in the living room. And my roommate and I, we called this place the Love Shack. Reason being, there was no love that was going to be <laughs> made in this place because there was no doors and there was no privacy. No and blinds, so, yeah. And so we lived in this place. Uh, for about a month, month and a half before we figured out like, hey, the writing's on the wall. I think this team's trying to like scam us and try to like take our money and or just railroad us. So we were supposed to be paying the rent for, originally it was 500 a month when we came there. Mm -hmm. Then when we arrived, we were told it was 1,000. And then about a week into being there, the landlord comes in with some new like pots and pans and coffee mugs and says, all right, boys, this is the new price in Swedish krones. And we looked at the paper, we put it into uh, like currency exchange. Yeah. And I said, Swedes, rent just went up 500 bucks. Better be some nice mugs, right? <laughs> so now it's fifteen hundred bucks a month for the rent, and we're sitting there for like two, three weeks, playing well, playing hockey, practicing, waiting for games to go. We're playing exhibition games; it's fun. We're traveling a little bit. Um, no vehicle either, so we're taking the bus to the train station and the train to practice, and then walking to the rink from there. And for games, we're being told, "Hey, you can you got to find your own way." So you got to take the train like so two like no hours. No team bus or whatever. It's just like they figure it out. So like like this is what I'm saying. By the writing was on the wall of like we're taking yeah. the train to practice. We're getting fleeced for coffee mugs. We're getting you know asked to pay fifteen hundred bucks a month for rent. So probably like first week of October, uh, I get a message from who was my agent at the time saying, hey, "Man, you're getting scammed." I'm seeing things unfold in the vlog, which again documenting on YouTube really helped. Yeah. You should probably get out of there sooner than later. So the landlord for the place, him and his wife went on a, a trip for the weekend. So on Friday night. The second they left, we started packing up all of our shit. <laughs> and then on Saturday, we, we made like four trips from our place to the bus stop, to the train station, down to the next bus stop, to the hotel we found. And we moved all of our stuff into the hotel back and forth all day long. We cleaned the place, made it look tip top for anybody asking. And there's a video of this on YouTube for anybody that <laughs> wants to fact check this, by the way. I had a much longer haircut at that point in time as well. But then we just bounced out of town, see you later, grabbed all of our stuff. And then when we went back to the rink to get my stuff, I came into the room, my gear was gone. And I looked at my, my roommate, Sweens. I was like, where is my gear? And then I remember the equipment manager mentioned something about putting all the equipment in like a, like a metal storage cage. So I thought, okay, there's a storage cage here somewhere. I have to go and find this. So I go to the Zamboni guy who only speaks Swedish. And I asked him, I was like, do you know where like the storage locker is? And he looked at me like I was crazy. And so I put in Google Translate, do you know where the storage is? And I'm showing it on my phone. He's like, ah. And he walks, opens, opens this room, lets me in. There's this cage. And the cage is probably about, if you can see in the video version of the show, it's about as high as the ceiling. So I have to like climb the top of this cage. I have to like shimmy in the top. I get swings to like hold my feet so I don't like fall in and I'm like done. And I grab my bag, which is zipped up, thank God. And I grab my other stuff and I pull it out of the cage. And then we go pack up all the gear out. See you later. That was it. Agent found Sween's new team the next day. I found a team a week later after I sat in a hotel for a week, which was very stressful, by the way. I was probably about a day or two away from actually going home back to Canada because I was like, I'm eating 110, 120 bucks a day at a hotel. I can't do this forever. Yeah. Found the team, hopped in the train, other side of Sweden, and then that was the team that I spent the next year and a half, two years with. Wow. This ability and your willingness, I guess, to just be like, 
I'll just do it. I'll just do this. Like, okay, this might be a scam. I'm just going to dip, grab my stuff from the cage and go. Even to start that, like, oh, COVID, I'm just going to go to Sweden and play. Where did you get this adventurous? Like, for me, I would be scared shitless. I'm a homebody. I've never left Edmonton. Never probably will. Where do you think that your willingness to just kind of shrug and say, fuck it, I'll do it. Where did that come from? I had no choice. Like, I'm in Sweden. Yeah. I'm over 7,000 kilometers away from my home and, you know, my mom's in Winnipeg. Yeah. Like, what else am I going to do? Am I going to sit here and cry? Or am I going to go to the rink, pack up my stuff, try to find a new team, call this agent, try to find a new agent, hop on the train, bounce, see you later. I'm going to the other side of Sweden. I'm going to go play the rest of the season. Like, those are really the only two choices you can make. Like, even, like, in my entire journey in, in the FPHL and the Fed, which has been, it's been eye-opening for so many reasons. Um, like, my living situations. When uh, I got to Motor City... Uh, I was at the goalie coach's guest house because the team housing wasn't ready. It was a great house, like right on uh, Lake, I believe Lake Huron, beautiful view of the, uh, the water, sunrise were fantastic. My roommate was a gambling addict. And this guy would be up to like four in the morning every single day, hitting parlays, the TV would be on. I'm sleeping, his room's like above mine. And I'd hear like, hit the parlay, Trev, 400 up. And I'd walk out and there'd be like smoke and disco ball lights and like music going on at three or four in the morning. It was insane. I'd be like, Ross, go to bed. And he's like, one more round, one more round, fella. We're practicing 11, dude. So that guy lasted about a week and a half with me because I kept telling him to go to bed. And he moved to the team housing with one of the other guys, which worked out better for me because I was by myself for about three weeks. Then I moved to the team housing, like one of the other team housing units where they didn't have any rooms available. So they had me on a blow up mattress in the living room for about two days. Because the blow-up mattress was flat. Like, I'd yeah. blow it up, and then by, the, like, 3, 4 in the morning, it'd be, like, flat on the floor. and be like, oh, this isn't working. And then they moved me to the couch. And then they put somebody else on the other couch the next day. So him and I shared a living room for a couple of days. Then he bounced. We had a guy get called up. I took one of the rooms that was shared with one of the other guys. It was great. Had the room for about 3, 4 days. Guy gets sent back down. They said, Trav, back to the couch. And then I ended up leaving the team for uh, hip surgery last year in December. And then this year in Watertown, when I signed... Part of my like signing deal was like we're gonna get you your own room, which at the time was like that's sexy, like that's really attractive. I get privacy, I got my own bed, I'm on an air mattress, I'm not traveling around. There's no disco balls, smoke music, and lights. Like uh, uh, is Brooks and Dunn, yeah, yeah. Good boogie, <laughs> go where all the cowboys go, right? Um, and so I go down there and I don't get my own room. I'm I'm sharing a room with other guys. Like our mattresses are like literally like you and I apart is where we're sleeping together. Um, I had like three different guys that I shared a room with and then I got traded to Mississippi. I go down there. Hey, like you're going to get your own room. I'm like, this is awesome. Everybody gets their own room. Everybody gets their own room except for me. I show <laughs> up the, I'm like, where am I going to sleep? Well, we got a guy who just got called up and we got a vacant room. Well, can I live there? We don't want to touch stuff cause he might come down. We don't, we don't know anything yet. So let's just wait. Well, where am I going to sleep? But well, we got an old mattress in the back of the garage. Why don't you pull it and put it in the living room? Literally, a mattress just plopped right in the middle of the living room, <laughs> sleeping on the concrete floor. And the roommates I had in Mississippi were actually very good guys, but they loved to stay up late night watching like Entourage till two in the morning. And again, the smoke, the lights, the music, everything. And like, I like to go to bed early. I like to go to bed like 10, 30, 11. Yeah. So I remember one night I said to the guys, like, I'm, I'm sitting on the mattress and the lights are on, Entourage is on full blast. Kevin Connolly is doing his thing. And I said, guys, you're going to go to bed anytime soon? They said, Trev, you can go to bed. We're going to watch TV. And so I took the mattress. I dragged it out back into the garage and I slept in the garage for like a week. I just, I put the mattress down. I put some sheets on top. I put some uh, like pieces of wood to kind of cover up some of the windows so the light and the moonlight wasn't coming in. Yeah. And that was, that's literally my start to finish living situation in the Fed. They even when I was in Motor City for two days and this, this is all documented on film if you don't believe me. Uh, they moved me to a house with one of the military guys who was like a, um, like he supported the team. He gave money to them. Yeah. yeah. And this guy, God bless him for his service to the, to the country. 
but he was the most like unsocially aware guy ever. Like he would just like yammer on for like two, two and a half hours about his ex-wife leaving him. I wouldn't even say a word. I'd just be nodding my head. And I'm thinking to myself, don't say anything engaging because it's going to add an extra hour and a half to the conversation. And we go on for like three, three and a half hours. I'm not even getting a single word in with this guy. And I'd say, all right. And I'm just going to say, Kevin, just for the sake of, I don't want to put yeah. his actual name out there. Say, listen, Kev, I'm going to go upstairs and call my girlfriend. Oh, you need me to come? Not really. Nah, probably good. handle this one on my own. Yeah, yeah, I'm good. Like, yeah, like this is my this is the living situation in minor pro hockey. Like that with the shack in Sweden, and it was uh, it's been a very interesting experience. Yeah, that but being well. open minded every step of the way to that of like this isn't ideal living with nine guys in one house sharing one bathroom, but it's all about perspective. Right? Like mm-hmm. I get to make 125, 150 bucks a day US going to the rink every day. I get to practice working on my craft. I get to work on being a better filmmaker. I get to work on my podcast, which is now a part of the Incredible Nation Network portfolio of shows now. Yeah. Shout out to our boss and uh, Jay, my uh, employer now. <laughs> and yeah, like it's, it all comes down to your mindset. Like you choose the mindset you want to have for all this type of stuff. How much of it over these last couple of years for you became like really content driven or was it always still about hockey? It's both. Both, yeah. Like, and I, I guess they can perfectly coexist, especially with your setup. To come back to what I mentioned earlier about yeah. pissing people off, making friends this year, I can't lie. I'm a very, very bad liar, <laughs> and I'm, I'm very bad at faking things. So, like, if you think I'm pissed off, I'm probably pissed off. If you think I'm happy, I'm probably happy. Like, there's no real in-between. And so, like, with my hockey journey, for me to just come in and just go through the motions and play the part just to make a couple of videos, make a couple of bucks, I can't do that. Like, it's only been fueled by my desire to want to become the best goaltender I possibly can, the best athlete I want to be, and the best man I possibly can become on this planet. I talk about this on my own show, Sling the Biscuit, but hockey stick is the measuring stick to life and who you are is the only piece of the process you actually get to hold and get to keep. Yeah. Right? The team I play for is only temporary. My body, my physical conditioning is temporary because one day that'll all go away. The equipment that I use to play on the ice, that'll go away. The money I'm making, that'll go away. The person you are is the only thing you hold the entire time through and through. Fair. So yeah. that, that has always driven me to just try to become the best version of myself because it's genuine. And as far as the actual like producing a film goes, I love the idea of like just capturing this piece of film that I could show you, I could show my mom, I could show somebody in Sweden. Like you're actually living my life with me to the best of my like storytelling abilities. And fast forward to one day when I do have kids, I can show them and be like, hey, you know, you're five years old, I'm 40, 50, whatever it is. You can live my life at 25, at 23, at 27 with me through the lens of the cameras that I was using and the videos that I posted, assuming YouTube doesn't take them down because I hope that they stay up forever, <laughs> but I can do that. And it's the greatest time capsule ever, as well as this being my full-time income for almost six years now. Yeah, which again is also wild. Like if you would have told 18, 19 year old Travis uploading gear videos and all that, that, hey man, by the time you're 27, full-time gig, that'd be pretty sweet. I get so many questions, people asking like, how did you go full-time? Because I wasn't the first to go full-time, but it's probably one of the first. Yeah. Like especially in the goalie realm, like there's nobody else that goes full-time. Um, and, and it's been very challenging. I think the hardest part was going from, I'm making part-time money it's good part-time money, but I need full-time money if I'm actually going to sustain this because, like, somebody's got to pay the rent. i got to put groceries on the table. Yeah. Like, I had a girlfriend at the time. Someone's got to get her something nice for her birthday coming up or she's going to kill me. You know, stuff like that. Like, money has to be coming in. And there was a period for about two and a half months when the vlog had just started where I did five videos a week, every single week for two and a half months. And it was so exhausting. And so then I took about a week off and I was like, okay, this is not sustainable long-term. What if I do three videos a week? And so I did three videos every single week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 9 a.m. Eastern for a year and a half. There's one week where I think I missed one. I only had two. But every single week was three videos a week. 
And that was what really blew up the channel. I found so many sponsors. I found so many opportunities in hockey and just everything really started to take off. And actually that was what kind of led me to starting the podcast on the biscuit, which has been going for about three years. Yeah. But like that, that drive and the determination of not trying to solve the money problem, but I need to do a better job producing these videos and to do it in a way where people are going to continue to watch consistently. That's going to generate that full-time income, consistent input for consistent output or vice versa. Yeah. Right. Cause at the end of the day, people have to want to watch this. I can't just slop some shit on the internet and then just pass it off and hope that people watch it. Obviously, I look back at old videos now and I say, that looks like shit compared to what I'm doing now, but that's also the process of, you make 100 videos, they're going to get better. You make 500 videos, they're going to get better. You're always in the pursuit of growth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I want to talk about the podcast in a little bit because, I mean, hey, big reason why you're here today, big reason you're part of the Nation Network now, but I also, whenever I hear someone playing in the Fed and a league with the nickname the Fed too, it's like, to me, that's like good minor pro hockey right there. Yep. I would imagine there's just been some outside of the living arrangements. Like I want to talk about almost on the ice at the arena, going to games, whatever. Oh but has there been like an insane road game or something where you're sitting there between the pipes or maybe sitting on the benches being like, I can't believe this is happening in a hockey arena right now. I'm just trying to think of like what I, I do. And I don't want to say publicly because <laughs> even though I'm not in the league anymore, there's certain things that I, I don't want to mention. Like the one story that comes to mind and again, I want to preface this and set the tone. Like the Fed is actually named after the league in Slapshot. The Federal League, it's yeah. actually named after that, right? And the whole concept of the Fed, the FPHL, uh, they were the FHL. And then one of the players got pissed off because he didn't get his sticks and get paid for the rest of the season. He took him to court, sued him. They couldn't use the name FHL anymore. And then they became the Federal Prospects Hockey League. So, and that, that player is now still back in the league. So it's just <laughs> such a, the league never finds new ways to make me shake my head. But, um, I think one of the best stories that comes to my mind is I uh, was traveling last year in, in Motor City expansion team, and uh, one of the guys in the team, he, um, he he's our fighter. He always sits beside me during uh, games, and we're in Binghamton, New York. And before games, they always have like a ticket uh, ticket guy come around for roll call and say, "Hey, anybody need tickets? 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 Friends? Family? Chicks? Tinder girls? Whatever you got? Friends? <laughs> acquaintances? Whatever you need to get two tickets per." And so guy asked, "I was like, I don't need any tickets." Look to the, to my right. He doesn't want any tickets. Cool. Warm-ups are going on. He comes up to me and says, Trav, I'm going to bring a chick back to the locker room after the game. And I said, how are you, you going to do that? Like We're a professional traveling team, yeah. and we have the locker room occupied. You're not going to do that. Like You're just messing with me. So then fast forward after the game. We're loading up the bus. One of the guys says, where is so-and-so? I can't, can't see him anywhere. One of the guys goes back to the room to go get, I oh think, the skate God. sharpener. <laughs> Walks in the bathroom. What do you think he finds? Well, he was true to his word. He was true to his word. And so we're loading up the bus, and we have a very tight bus, by the way. There's only one spot to sit, and that's sharing my seat with me. So all disheveled, hair everywhere, no shower or anything, sits beside me for the next 12 hours from Binghamton oh my God. to Detroit. Uh, and this is not a sleeper bus, by the way. It is just two, just chairs for 20-something guys. Yeah. And so the store that he gave me, he found two ladies off Tinder, matched them, said, hey, why don't you come to the game? They're separate. They didn't know each other. Made them pay for tickets. Didn't give them roll call because I was there. I saw it myself. And then after the game, I guess picked one, brought her to the players' only entrance, brought her through security, and then that happened. So that basically sums up the Fed experience. And practice was at Monday at 11. Who's got the best crowd in the Fed, though? Like, is there one building where you're like, oh, my God, like, they're brutal, they're on you, anything like that? I would say the fans in the Columbus. Like, when we were, like, when I was playing for Mississippi in Columbus this yeah. season, during the National Anthem, they have a, a packed arena. They have a fantastic crowd and fan base in Columbus. And during the anthem, uh, for the land of the free, the pause, yeah. 
somebody from the absolute like upper deck, like Randy Orton from all the way up there, <laughs> yells, Trav, you fucking suck. And everybody hears it. It's quiet. It's quiet. The whole yeah. crowd starts laughing. The guys look at me and I just, what? Like, he's not wrong. Like, what do you want me to say? <laughs> right? Like, uh, I would say that one was, was pretty funny. That one stands out. The fans also, too, that same guy, because we walk out of the arena and there's like a whole, like, um, like kind of like ice district here in Edmonton, like where all the fans can kind of hang out. They yeah. have security to stop them from attacking us. I walk out, one of the guys goes, Trav, you effing suck. And I'm like, all right, I'm just going to ignore this guy. I'm going to go back to the bus. And he says, hey, if you don't come back and talk to me, I'm unsubscribing. I turned around and I went right back to talk to him because, you know, it's business, right? Yeah, you can't lose that subscriber. And I came and I, I went to talk to him and he was short. He's probably about, you know, 5'8", five, 5'9". Five, if you're on the video version of the show, I'm, about, I'm 6'5". I'm a pretty big guy. Yeah. And he looks at me and I said, would you like to say that to my face? And he's like, hey, man, I like the videos. So we had a good we had a good conversation. It was really fun. That's usually how that goes, too. When someone's heckling you, it's usually like, oh, yeah, I'm actually, I watch your stuff. I will say, I get so much shit online because like I, I am authentically myself mm-hmm. and I don't really care if anybody likes it or not. Like I say what I think, I say what I believe and I am who I am. I'm not, I'm not going to fake it for anybody. I take a lot of shit because of it. I've never once ever had somebody ever talk shit to my face or say something that I would see online to my face in person ever. Not one time. I mean, yeah, like I'm, I'm the same way. Like, I mean, I have people all the time in my DMs telling me this, that sucks, whatever. You're this, you're that. I have never had someone outside of scrums and beer league tell me like your shit sucks or whatever it's in scrums and beer league i get that quite a bit but never like at an oils you've never had someone come up and be like because it's always keyboard warriors right you know how it is johnny forgets he's not seven foot two in person <laughs> he forgets that he is only five foot three and 120 pounds in his mom's basement using yeah. her wi-fi let's talk about uh slinging the biscuit your podcast uh just tell us about it what's it about who are you with tell me about your co-host all of that because you're going to be recording a new episode here from Nation HQ right away. Shortly, yes. Uh, so Sling the Biscuit was a idea spun out of COVID, sitting in my basement with uh, Pat Shea, former uh, pro for the Maine Mariners and YouTuber as well. Said, hey, like I have these ideas that I want to share that I can't put in the vlog. The vlog's short. The podcast can be long. Mm-hmm. Why don't we do a show, share some ideas, get some interviews, kind of share some really good conversations. And that happened. We went about a year, year and a bit. We got a little bit of traction, but not a lot. And then I just felt creatively things weren't working. So Pat ended up going on his own to do whatever he was doing. And then I found a new co-host, Dave Wheeler, who uh, he has a morning show in the city of Winnipeg. He's like the top morning show for 20 plus years. And when he came on like that instantly, we, we I felt like we captured lightning in a bottle and the show blew up. Like we're doing from the beginning, probably six, 7,000 listens an episode to where we just signed up the nation network. We're averaging like 15,000, 12,000 an episode. Like things really, excuse me, things really, really took off. Um, Dave wasn't able to make the, uh, the new contract, the new version of the show, but my new co-host, Rob Budlon, he's a former pro. He played for the Toronto Marlies, uh, the Hershey Bears organization, uh, played four years at Merrimack, played for the, uh, South Carolina Stingrays. He, he's been all over the place and he also owns the company, Butt Ends, like, uh, hockey rips. Oh yeah, I know what those are. So he's got uh, lots of stories and him and I kind of, we sling the biscuit every, His uh, TikTok Sunday. is good with all those videos he has of him asking guys if they want to try it. That is hilarious stuff. There's actually one clip we posted that went really viral of, uh, he was in Phoenix, Arizona and Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner were there <laughs> and he was invited by the way. He wasn't just some fan or like one of the um, one of the seekers outside the Marriott Hotel asking guys for uh, autographs. He he was actually invited there by the Coyotes for the skate and like for the summer skate. And Mitch and Austin walk by and because Robbo has these uh, Snapchat sunglasses that capture the video and it's captured on film. He says, "Hey Matt or uh, Hey Austin, you want to try a butt ends grip?" And he's like, "No man, I'm good." And just like the disgust in his face, like, leave me alone. Same thing with Mitch Marner. Those clips went viral, and uh, so that's Rob. That's my co-host for the show. Thanks. Uh, so people can find it again wherever they get their podcasts from. And they are now a proud partner, a proud member of the Nation Network of Podcasts. You mentioned to me just before we started recording. So you're out in Vancouver now. 
You're without a team right now? At the moment, unemployed, yep. So what's the process like right now? Are you fielding calls? Are you out there looking? Like, what's the deal? So I have an agent who takes care of most of that. Okay. I'm in a bit of a transitioning period. So I've gone from full-time with professional hockey and doing my vlog, shifting that over to continuing to vlog as a behind-the-scenes for the podcast, which is hopefully my post-retirement endeavor. I have a couple other things I'm working on as well on yeah. the side. But the podcast, my full-time thing, um, obviously we have incredible studios here in Edmonton, Calgary, Vancouver, Ottawa, Toronto, and Montreal. We're everywhere. Not in Winnipeg, my hometown. We're, mm. we're waiting for that. We're waiting no for airport. that so I can have an excuse to go see my mom on a more regular basis. <laughs> but um, yeah, the show's based out of Vancouver. Mr. Producer Grady and uh, his intern Lachlan help me with the show every single uh, Friday, Thursday, whenever we record. And it goes live on Sundays. Video version on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your shows. And uh, you can see our incredible... Uh, Studio, incredible setup downtown in Vancouver Wall Center. It is very nice out there. I like our office here in Edmonton, but their setup in Vancouver is sick. Uh, Trav, welcome to the company, I guess. I'm the one to do it because I'm the only one on Real Life today doing the interviews. But welcome to the company and thanks for hopping on. Pleasure, man. There you go. That is a wrap on this week's edition of the Real Life Podcast. One more sponsor shout out to wrap things up. It is Tourism Jasper. We were there earlier in the month. Jasper in January is always such a good time. But just because the calendars flipped to February, it does not mean that you need to give up on your mountain dreams this winter. Visit our friends at Tourism Jasper online. It's still skiing season. You can head out, hit the slopes, or maybe just spend a weekend in the town. It is a fantastic spot. And even though it's not Jasper in January, there's always fun times to be had by hitting the Rockies and visiting Jasper. Big shout out to our guy, John Morris, and to Trav for Oilers for swinging by and talking a little bit on the podcast. Some good stories shared on an interview-exclusive episode of the Real Life Podcast. If you want to hear some stories about our trip to Toronto, we are going to be dropping a new episode of Oilers Nation Radio tomorrow. And there's a new episode of Better Late Than Never with myself, Liam, and Bag Milk. And Frank Saravalli, it's going to be a good one. Don't want to miss it. Find Better Late Than Never wherever you get your podcasts from. We'll be back with a fresh real life on Monday. Chat with you then. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 